Somewhere out there, there's a man on a park bench eating his 500th PB&J. He has no idea Papa John's has new papadillas that are way better than a boring sandwich. With Papa John's best meats, cheeses, and veggies hand-folded into a crispy flatbread crust. Someone better tell that man. Get a new papadilla in one of four flavors for just six bucks. Better ingredients, better pizza, better than a sandwich. Papa John's. Not valid with discounts, fees, and taxes. Extra prices may vary. Welcome to Accelerate Your Business Growth with your host, Diane Helbig. Diane is a leading small business development and leadership coach, author, and speaker who is passionate about sharing valuable ideas, tips, and techniques with business professionals worldwide. Diane brings you the world's experts and gurus in all things business, whether it's sales, structure, social media, planning, or plateauing, guests bring their expertise and energy to each episode. When growing your business is your focus, Accelerate Your Business Growth is the show to listen to. Got a topic or guest suggestion? Let Diane know. The goal is to make sure you have the information you need to move your business forward. Thanks for joining us. Settle in and enjoy. Hi, everybody. Thank you so much for joining me. Today's podcast is sponsored by Audible.com. Audible.com is a leading provider of spoken audio entertainment and information. Listen to audiobooks whenever and wherever you want. Get a free book when you sign up for a 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash businessgrowth. Accelerate Your Business Growth podcast continues to enjoy inclusion on lists of the best podcasts to listen to and is uh, recognized as a great resource for uh, business leaders, small business owners, sales professionals, and aspiring entrepreneurs. This is uh, due in large part to the guests who join me. These are folks who have expertise in certain areas of business, and they give of their time and their talent so that you can get the answers you need and do better things in your business. Today we have such a guest. With me today is Jonasen Goldson. Jonasen is Director of Ethical Imperatives, LLC, teaching professionals how good ethics is good business and the benefits of intellectual diversity. He's a keynote speaker, strategic storyteller, and TEDx presenter. He's also a community rabbi, recovered hitchhiker, and circumnavigator, former newspaper columnist and retired high school teacher in St. Louis. His most recent book is Fix Your Broken Windows, a 12-step program for promoting ethical affluence. Thanks so much for joining me today, Jonathan. It's a pleasure, Diane. Thanks for having me on. I am thrilled. I, I want to dive right into this because I want to know what you mean by ethical affluence. <laughs> well, um, Look at the uh, look at the stats. Um, various studies have shown that companies rated highest for ethics can perform anywhere from one to five percent higher than companies that aren't or than the average. Uh, and simply, 
ethics is so foundational to our culture, to our society, whether that's our personal lives or our professional lives. Uh, a recent study asked employees what they wanted most from an employer. And the number one answer was not pay or um, opportunity to advance or vacations. It was a boss we can trust. And that really tells you so much about what people want. Of course, we want to make a living. Of course, we want to do well. Of course, we want advancement. But we want to be part of something where we feel we're making a contribution, where our contribution is recognized, and, and where we're, we're contributing to something that's intrinsically meaningful. And when we have that, we have higher morale, we have higher in engagement, you have less workplace um, conflict. I mean, uh, according to studies, somewhere around half a trillion dollars a year estimated loss in workplace conflict, workplace disengagement. Uh, it's, it's really, when you think about it, it's really a no-brainer to be a happier workplace, a more productive workplace, more loyal workers, less turnover. Everybody's going to do better. Through ethics, we become affluent. I just love that. Just this morning, I was doing a workshop with some um, frontline leaders, you know, folks who have to lead their peers, even though they don't necessarily have um, the authority <clears throat> that they need to have in order to really make it effective. So it's always an interesting thing. And one of the um, things that, that really rings out whenever I do these trainings is this thing about a boss you can trust, like, you know, someone who's got your back, someone who is doing the right things for the right reasons, um, not avoiding conflict, but not being um, divisive or denigrating, you, you know, it's like all of those things boy, I, this really, I get this. This, this really is, um, has an impact. Yeah, if I can tell you a quick anecdote. Um, sure. I, I taught uh, high school in 20, for 20 years here in St. Louis, but before that I was in another city. And, uh, and we had a principal there. Uh, it, it, was, it was toxic. Uh, it was the administration against the teachers. And it got worse and worse. Eventually one day, uh, my wife got a phone call from a board member. And this person said to my wife, where are you going? Oh, I said, what are you talking about? So, well, the principal announced at the board meeting that you and your husband weren't coming back next year because you'd taken a position elsewhere. <gasps> and we were really interested to hear this because we knew nothing about it. <laughs> Surprise. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, you know, fortunately, we landed on our feet, but... Uh, the principal got fired the next year. Wow. And, uh, and I heard through the grapevine, he's never held a job since. Wow, so, really? Uh, you know, what goes around comes around, and we don't wish ill on others. But, um, you know, I, when, when, you, when you have an environment, when you have uh, people who have your back, as you said, uh, you have their back. Everybody's watching out for everybody else, and everybody yeah. is, uh, you know, everybody is doing well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I can really really see that and the and and the opposite is so true that when you don't feel like you can trust your boss then you can't really trust anything or anyone 
So you're always on edge. Yeah, and that spills off into your in your family life too. I mean, if, yeah. if you're trying to hold it together at work, uh, and then you come home and you try to relax, and, and then you end up going off on your wife and your kids, and you, uh, you know, it, it's it's not just limited to the workplace. Yeah, boy, boy, it's so. There is, it is this is a huge, huge topic. Do you think? Um, how do I want to ask this question? It feels like we are living in a time right now where this is a challenging subject where it seems like, this is what I was trying to figure out the other day. Do you think it's true that more and more people are not behaving ethically or is it probably, has it probably always been like this, but with, you know, social media and technology and awareness and all that, we just see more of it? Well, that's definitely the case. And, and there certainly have been plenty of scandals. I think one of the things that has disappeared largely from our society is a sense of shame. Yeah. Uh, there was a time when, when people, they, they might be unethical, they might be immoral, but they tried to keep it hidden. <laughs> and, you know, I mean, part of it is you can't keep anything hidden anymore. It just is no. people who think you can, uh, you know, have a rude awakening. Uh, but also the more you see of unethical behavior, the more that becomes the norm. The, more, the easier it is to say, well, well, nobody else is playing by the rules. Why should I? Yeah. And that's part of the corrosion to our society. Yeah, I, boy, I, I I feel this so strongly. I, I it, it's so weird to me because it's not how I was raised, and and I feel like we're really losing this doing right because it's right, you know, having integrity and and living by a, a code, you know, a, a standard because it, it's what's best for you as an individual instead of this weird world that we're living in where people can cheat, they can do all sorts of things, and they not only can keep their job, oftentimes they get a better job. Right. right. Oh. And, that, and that leads into to a, a sound bite I like to use, that, that compliance is often the enemy of ethics. Because it's, it's fine to start off with a certain legislative code, but when you try to legislate ethics, you, you run into a contradiction. Ethics, by definition, governs the gray area between what's legal and what's Ill illegal. When you try to legislate anything, you're automatically going to create loopholes. It's inevitable. And so the only way uh, any system of laws or rules can operate is if there's a general attitude, a mindset of respect, not only for the letter of the law, but for the intent behind the law. And so if a person could say, you know, I didn't technically break any laws, that might be true. But that certainly is not ethics. And, and it undermines the whole idea of an ethical way of thinking, the ethical attitude is what you said, right? That sense of self-respect that yeah. I am living up to my own standard and the standard that everybody else can live with. Well, that's really interesting. So... So, so people are convincing themselves that 
that they're um, that they're okay because they're being compliant with the letter of the law, but they're missing out. I mean, really, you know, in your terms, and I, I guess in mine, they're they're really sort of missing the boat because they're that doesn't mean they're being ethical. Exactly. Uh, there was an example I, I, I used once. Um, the, uh, the U.S. government was trying to get uh, Americans to, to uh, start using these $1 coins. You know, the, the Americans, oh, yeah. for some reason, we, we just don't like these things. Uh, they're very popular in Britain, the one-pound coins, but Americans don't like them. And so the government had an incentive program. You could, you could go online, you could order a roll of coins, 40 coins for $40, and they would ship them to you uh, postage free. So then you get these coins into circulation. So what do people do? Smart people, right? They ordered a lot of coins on their credit cards. Uh, then they took the coins straight from getting them in the mail, the bank, put them in their account, and then got the credit card points. <laughs> you know, brilliant. One guy bragged online. He, the guy bragged online. He got enough points to go to Tahiti on, it, on, on coins from the government. So, so who's paying for that? Yeah. The government. <laughs> Who's the government? We are. We are. <laughs> I don't want my taxes paying for this guy's trip to Tahiti. And no they doubt. They couldn't prosecute anybody because they weren't no. breaking any laws. Right. But clearly, it wasn't ethical. It wasn't the, in the spirit of the deal. It was, it was a manipulation. That's a great example. Manipulations like that, and the whole, the whole structure of society starts to disintegrate. Yeah, exactly. Okay. And if you're in a business where, where everybody's trying to, to you know, cut corners and, and, and work between the lines, uh, you know, you're, you're not going to have a, a vibrant, healthy society. Works okay. And, and, and I want to go down that road because I, I think some business owners, and actually I, I worked for one, so I, I know there's at least one out there, um, you know, sort of choose between, they think they have to choose between ethics and profits. So they'll do that cutting corners that you just said, and they'll make decisions that are not in the client's best interest because they think it's in their best interest in their pocketbook. So what would you say in response to that? Well, very simply, you can, you can point to some very uh, prominent examples to the contrary. Uh, you ever walk into Trader Joe's, um, you know, you've got all these people uh, bagging groceries that love working there. What's, what's so compelling about bagging groceries? It's just a great environment. They've got good benefits. They've got fair pay. It's a wonderful work environment. And, and, and they're thriving. Um, Zappo Shoes, you heard the stories about them? They, they have an yeah. incredible culture where yeah. people just love to work for them. And, uh, you know, stories about some, some employee who, who drove to a woman's house because she had a complaint about the shoes she bought <laughs> and she, she, was, she wasn't able to get out of the house so this employee took it upon himself. And that's another important point, that sense of, of trust and empowerment. Yeah. You know, how, many, how many employees would say, well, I don't have the authority to do anything about that. You know? and then you end up with the United Airlines dragging the doctor off the plane and, and losing a billion yeah. dollars in stock value because some gate agent didn't have the authority to, to offer yeah. a few hundred bucks to, uh, to, to solve a mistake that they made. Yeah. You know, if you, yeah. if you fly Southwest, uh, which we do a lot where I live, 
uh, you know, they're having some, some mechanical problems now. I don't know if that's their fault. But the first thing you notice your first time on Southwest is, is the, the cabin attendant, the flight attendant who's, who's making the announcements is funny. Yeah. It's such a humor. They're, they're lightening yeah. things up. It's not that dry, dreary, monotonous uh, thing we have all heard and stopped listening to. Uh, you, you, you create a culture where the people enjoy working, where the, where the clients enjoy patronizing. And even if you may have to sacrifice a little bit in short-term gain, you're going to benefit tremendously in long-term revenue. Definitely. Definitely. I, I wholeheartedly believe this. And, and as you said, there are so many examples of it. We see it all the time. And when people think about experiences that they've had, positive and negative, I think they realize, I'm hoping they realize, that the positive ones are the ones where um, the, the culture is great, the way they treat their people and their customers is great. And, and it doesn't necessarily cost anything. Like I always tell this story, I've probably told it a million times, that when Duluth Trading opened a location here in Cleveland, um, I, it was right before Christmas and I wanted to go get my husband uh, a present from there. And I went and the place was packed. They had all of these registers and all of them had people there and, and they had a line through the store with people waiting in line. And there was this gal who was, could not have been happier walking up and down the line saying, can I get you a bottle of water? Can I get you? And people were going, yeah, sure. And she'd run in the back and she'd get it. And I noticed someone had a cup of coffee. So I said, well, I'd like a cup of coffee. She goes, no problem. She runs into the back, gets a cup of coffee, brings it out to me. So, okay, we had to wait in line. But you know what? It wasn't that bad. They made it an enjoyable experience. And it didn't cost them anything when you think about it in the greater scheme of things compared to what it would have if it had been an unpleasant experience. Yeah, I mean, you know, the old cliche of being uh, penny-wise and pound-foolish. Yeah. Um, you know, it takes such a little investment. And, and in terms of a workplace culture, there's so many little things. This is, this is really what the title of my book, Fix Your Broken Windows, is about. Because if you remember the, the study that, they, uh, that led to the New York City policy of cleaning up uh, communities. Tow cars. Windows. Yeah. 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 Uh, tow away the cars, uh, paint over the, the graffiti. Um, and the same thing goes on in, in the workplace. You know, if nobody's smiling, if, if nobody says hello, if everybody's looking over their shoulder because they're worried they're, somebody's going to notice them doing something, then you, know, you just keep your head down, hunker down, don't get noticed, and don't work very hard. Right. A few little tweaks in a, in, a, in a professional culture can transform a workplace environment. And, and you just get so much more out of everyone. It's a win-win. And that's what's so great about it. I, I really appreciate you saying a few little tweaks because that, it is not a monumental change. It, it's, it's making, a, you know, it's like a shift in mindset because then your interactions change, the communication that you have changes, and there's a domino effect that happens with that. Yeah, absolutely. I like to yeah. use uh, biblical uh, references to make some of these points. So King Solomon says, one who tears a gap in a fence 
will be bitten by a snake. So if you, if you, if you ask somebody, are you safer with, are you more protected with a, with a, a fence with, with a small hole in it or with no fence at all? So intuitively we'd say, well, you're better off with 99% of a fence. Yeah. That's not necessarily true because then you have a false sense of security. The person ah. with no fence knows that he needs to pay attention to what's going on all around. The person who's 99% secure, you know, really isn't 99% secure because one snake gets in and uh, what happened to us 99%, the statistics don't matter. So if we keep our eye on the little things, um, we, can, we can recognize how yeah. little changes or, or little problems can avalanche quickly into big problems. Uh, and little corrections can turn, can turn the course of, of, a whole, uh, of a whole business or whole company. Yes. Yes. That, that is exactly right. I love that example. That, that, that's so interesting. And you... Um, <clears throat> I know you say that like a lot of the answers to problems that we have now can be found in those old ancient teachings. Are there others that you think oh. are relevant to where we are? Yeah, absolutely. Um, there's, um, you know, King Solomon also says, uh, go sluggard. You know, we don't use the word sluggard much anymore. A lazy person, go and learn from the ant. So a couple of years ago, I, I read a, a study um, they found that ants, when they travel in, in colonies, large groups, that when the traffic gets, gets busier, when they hit rush hour, so to speak, um, yeah. they actually move faster and more efficiently. And they wondered why ants are so good at dealing with rush hour and human beings are so bad at it. So they came, they came up with, with a few hypotheses. They said, first of all, ants have no egos. When you're driving along and there's a little opening and some guy cuts in front of you, right? Human nature is, oh, that guy, he beat me out. Yeah. So, so what? Yeah. I lost, I lost one car length <laughs> five seconds later. Right? But we're fuming, which which now makes us try to do things we shouldn't do and then create yeah. dangerous situations, and that that slows things down. Uh, the other thing is ants don't mind bumping into each other. I don't know if this is very practical on the highway. Um, yeah. <laughs> But in terms of you know inter interacting with people, you know we, we we bump into each other. Let's say figuratively speaking, uh, you know you, you you step on you you, you you interrupt somebody without thinking about it. little little faux pas that aren't aren't evilly intentioned. It's just it's just human beings. Um, so the ants don't mind getting bumped into if we'd be a little less um, offended uh -huh. by, by by every perceived insult. I mean. The political correctness. This is this is getting to catastrophic levels. It's it's not just people being insensitive. It's people perceiving insensitivity where there may yeah. never never even been any. Um, how you can have a functioning workplace? And and finally, the uh, the third thing they notice is that that ants, when things get busy, ants become hyper focused. So when we hit rush hour, we start thinking about, oh my gosh, I'm gonna get home. Is there another way I can go? Uh, well, what's going to be, how long is it going to take? Our mind is everywhere except on the road. Whereas when tension builds for the ants, they, they become very, very focused and pay much more attention to how they're moving so they can move more efficiently. So just by looking in the natural world, we can learn lessons that will teach us about, uh, 
about day-to-day -day life with our fellow human beings. That, I love that. Thank you so much for sharing that. Now I feel like I have to really go understand ants because, boy, I mean, what great lessons. I, I had no idea. And they, those are really valuable points for, you know, not only people as individuals, but absolutely for being in the business environment. Sure. And, and not being so sensitive to, and it is perceived slights. It, it's absolutely, and, and, and that feels like then that's being too self-focused. Yeah, I mean, we certainly have to be conscious and aware and sensitive of other people. That's, that's essential sure. to, to an ethical culture as well. But also start by giving people the benefit of the doubt. Uh, you know, it's, and until you have really good reason to believe that someone is intentionally being hurtful or intentionally being dishonest, um, well, presume positive intent. Give people a chance uh, and, and don't get hung up on little things because there's so many yeah. little things and so many of them are really innocent. Yep. Yep. Boy, that's great. I have all of these conversations like buzzing around in my head that I've had recently with people where I, I think that's exactly what they were doing, that they were just being way too sensitive about and, and jumping to conclusions, you know, when it comes to intent instead of being more forgiving or giving in the conversation. It's really interesting. Yeah, I had a case where, where, where a person I was very, very friendly with stopped talking to me for three years Oh, what'd you yeah. do? <laughs> uh, well, <laughs> you know, I made a few overtures, and, and uh, I, what I really should have done is, is I should have approached him right away and said, you know, please tell me what I did to offend you. I was, I was dealing with my own stuff, and I just didn't have the mental energy for it, but uh, that's what I should have done. But eventually, he shows up, and he, and he you know, he tells me it's time to let, let bygones be bygones, and, and I said, so, so, can you just tell me what, what did I do? What, what happened? And I mean, I, I can't even explain it to you, but it was, it was just, it was such a, a small, casual comment yeah. that he just exploded into this massive offense. And, and it was, it was just, I was beside myself when, when he told me, it. I mean, with dis disbelief, I just, I couldn't believe that someone would fabricate in his own mind uh, right. such a major event over such a tiny little thing. And how well did you know him before that happened? Like, how long had you known him before that happened? Oh, we, we've, we've been pretty good friends for, for several years. So, so do, you know, do, for me, there's like an added fascination with that, that here, that we can know someone, we can think we know someone, we can engage, and then Something happens and instead of saying to ourselves, okay, wait a minute, I know him, he, he, the, the, you know, something's off or, you know, I should ask the question or whatever. We instantly go to the worst possible thing, even though that's not even in keeping with the person we think we know. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And one of the most fundamental teachings in Judaism is, is to give the benefit of the doubt. And we have, we have books and books and books written with, with accumulated stories, vignettes, uh, parables uh, of cases where, where people saw others doing things that looked heinous and turned out to be entirely innocent. 
And, yeah. uh, and either because people did jump to the wrong conclusion or sometimes people didn't jump to the wrong conclusion, went and investigated and found out, okay, this is not something to, to blow up the world over. Right. You know, it's wow. communication. It's communication. Yes. Exactly. We don't. Right. We don't bother to find out. I mean, how much of uh, how much of the political discourse is, is all this innuendo and and, and superficiality, um, you know, rather than actually trying to penetrate to the heart of, of what uh, what issues are about. And in the business exactly. place, it's the same thing. Yeah, it's so true. It's so true. When I was doing that training this morning, one of the one of the people kept saying. Um, I don't know why he does that. I don't know why he does that. I said, right, that is true. <laughs> you don't know why. So that's what you need to find out. Because once you know why, then you can have a further conversation about, okay, so here's, what, what can we do about it? But as long as you don't know, you can't get a resolution. Right. Yeah. And also, you know, sometimes we make mistakes. I mean, sometimes we do things that we really shouldn't have done. And if someone calls us on them in a, in a civil way, yeah. then we have the opportunity to say, you're right. I, I mean, that's on me. I blew it. What can I do to make it better? Exactly. Thank you for telling me. I'll, I'll be aware of that so I won't do it again. And instead of going to war. That is for sure. And, and that's interesting, too, because... In the workplace, there's there's this whole aversion to difficult conversations. And what I always say to people is, there is no reason for a difficult conversation. There are times when you are going to have to talk to somebody about something they did wrong. First of all, they probably want to know if they're doing something wrong. Second of all, it doesn't have to be unpleasant. You're trying to help them. That, that, that's a mindset, you know, that, that's a preconceived belief that this is not going to go well. So back it up. You can preempt the whole thing. You can say over time, we're going to be having conversations about how it's going. And during some of those conversations, we'll have to talk about, you know, we might have to talk about things that aren't going as well as they could. So. And if you see somebody doing something that's that's not right either they don't understand what they should be doing or, or or whatever the context is and you don't address it that itself is unethical yes thank to witness, you you know to witness somebody else say because you either you're setting that person up for for bigger problems down the line or you're you may be in danger in a project or just from a philosophical point of view that uh, we we all need each other we depend on each other yeah that's great. I had, I never thought about it as an ethical issue, so that's really awesome. That, that is really great. That'll cause all sorts of conversations. <laughs> <laughs> I have to take a quick sponsor break, and then I want to continue the conversation. Sure, sure. Accelerate Your Business Growth Podcast is happy to be sponsored by Audible.com. Audible.com is a leading provider of spoken digital audio entertainment and information. They have over 150,000 titles to choose from, and you can listen to them on any device, including whatever you're hearing us on right now. And if you sign up at our link, which is audibletrial.com slash businessgrowth, you get one free audiobook and a one-month trial of the service. 
Some examples of books you can listen to on audible.com are The Power of Positive Coaching by Lee Kalan and Leading Loyalty by Lena Renee. So visit audibletrial.com slash business growth, explore the books that are of interest to you, and receive one free audiobook when you sign up for the trial. Today we're speaking with Jonathan Goldson about the secrets of ethical affluence. So um, we've talked, it's so interesting for me because we, we've, we have really been, you know, talking about things that go on in business that uh, are challenging. And I found it so interesting right before we went to the break that, that um, this whole thing about difficult conversations and talking to people about things that aren't necessarily going well, when you said, you know, not helping someone when you see them doing something wrong is an ethical issue, which I had never looked at it that way. Um, it leads, it leads me to ask and to wonder are the, you know, about other ethical dilemmas that you've seen or you've experienced that, you can share because maybe we aren't seeing them as ethical dilemmas. Uh, sure. Um, one, one of those, it's, it's, this is such a small thing, but, but the, the person I helped with it um, is still, I mean, it's, it's been a couple of years. Uh, and every time I see this, this physical therapist, uh, she, she almost never lets a meeting go by without thanking me. Nice. Uh, for this, this piece of advice that, that took all of 45 seconds uh, to solve what in her mind was an insoluble problem. Uh, she had been renting uh, a, an office, a room in an office from another doctor and for years. And every year they raised her rent. And they were finally raising it to a point where she, she simply couldn't afford to stay there anymore. But she had become very friendly with these people and they had helped her out tremendously. And she, she felt torn. She, she felt that to, to simply walk away was in some way a betrayal of them, uh, but she couldn't afford to stay. So I said, all you need to do is explain the situation to them. Say you very much want to stay, but you can't afford, you can only afford if the rent is such and such, and then make it their decision. If you, if, you, if you can give me this rent, I'd love to stay. If you can't give me this rent, I'll have to go. Which is it? Which would you like? And by putting, by putting the decision, this, this is a great thing to do in so many different contexts, to try and pick, you know, try and find two options, either of which is acceptable to you, and then empowering the other person to make the choice. Because then there's, there's no room for ill will. Maybe yeah. two choices. I'm happy with either one. Right. Go right ahead. Well, they told her, we can't give it to you for that little. She found a place that was much less. And she says that a couple of years later, they still haven't rented out that room. Ooh, really? <laughs> so they lost two years rent. Wow. <laughs> What's that problem? <laughs> that's right. It's not, yeah. so, so why, why do I say that's ethical? Because it's, you're finding a way to resolve a conflict eliminating the conflict everybody can get everybody can have what they what they choose to take everybody can make their own decisions and and you avoid 
so much of the tension and the ill will that can sometimes come out of these, these negotiations. Wow. That's so great. I thought you were going to say it was ethical because she told them the truth. She was just too. That's part of it. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, you could have said my mother's dying and I can't. <laughs> yeah, I just can't do it. Yeah. Usually you could find a way to avoid those types of things. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Um, if That's you want to hear really. Another... Yeah, I'd like to hear another one. Do you have another yeah, one? Yeah, this is kind of, this is a little bit humorous. Um, uh, my wife and I taught high school in, in Budapest, Hungary for a year. Wow. And uh, you might imagine that was a bit of an experience. Um, and and there, was, there was just something about the, the culture of, of, of the Hungarian school system that was, that was quite a bit different from anything we were used to. Uh, we, we, every student carried a little booklet they referred to it as a passport. It almost was. It almost was like a pen. Looked like a passport. And this was this was for discipline. So if a student did anything, any any breach of decorum, violation of school policy or school rules, a teacher who witnessed it could take this booklet, write a little note in it, give the note back, give the booklet back to the student. Another infraction. Another note. If a student got enough notes in his or her little book, that student could be sent to the principal, who could write a note. In the book. And if a student got enough principal's notes in the book, the student could be expelled. Wow. That was the disciplinary system in the school. So the year before we were there, one student had actually been expelled. And we used to see him. He would come into the teacher's workroom, and the teachers that he would have had, had he not been expelled, were required to tutor him in their spare time so that he could pass the classes that he would have been taking if he would have been in the school, so he could graduate with his class. You're kidding. I couldn't make this up. Yeah. <laughs> so you can imagine what discipline was like in the school. Uh, it, it was absolute pandemonium. It was just chaos. And so we went to the Hungarian administration and we said, uh, you know, can you explain this system to us? It, it doesn't make any sense. And they said, that's the way we do it in Hungary. Oh. <laughs> we said, okay, but it's, you know, the, it's not working. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, the, the school's in chaos. That's the way we do it in Hungary. <laughs> so, but you agree that the school's in chaos. You're not arguing with us about that. That's the way we do it in Hungary. Oh, my. Yeah, they didn't want to deal with it. So they put up with, with a, a, an untenable situation because they didn't want to take responsibility for trying to come up with, another, I mean, we even said to them, let's sit down together. We, we can come yeah. up with something better than this. They were absolutely adamant that this is the way it's done. This is the way we're going to continue doing it. Wow. So, the, you know, the old thing from some Stephen Covey, every, every institution is, is set up to get the results that it's getting. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> if, if you don't like the results, you're going to have to change something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, That's and, and, what they say. Yeah, so, you know, the, the ethical mindset is one that says, let's identify the problem. Uh, let's figure out why we have the problem. And then let, let's start looking for, for solutions so we can make things better. 
but there has to be that that desire to challenge the status quo when it needs to be challenged yeah and uh and to to be able to to take some risks on implementing something new which could produce a much better result yeah i i completely agree with you i have learned that People are really resistant to change, not because of the change, but because they don't know what's on the other side of it. So it's like fear of the unknown, right? They, they, if, if they can actually see what life will be like on the other side, it makes it easier for them to make the move. Yeah, this is, this is a major topic I deal with in my keynotes, that, that we're, we're afraid of of what might be, um, but if we would look at, at both sides of the fear, right? I'm afraid of what's gonna happen if I take this action. I should be afraid what's gonna happen if I don't take this action. Yeah. Because then we can start to, to sort of reach a, an equilibrium. Okay, now I've got two kinds of fear and I can balance one against the other mm -hmm. and, 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 and restore a certain amount of objectivity. Right. Yeah, that's, that's big. Okay, so a minute ago when you were talking about this, this Hungarian school system, um, one of the things I thought I heard you say was, first we have to agree there's a problem and then that, you know, fixing it, uh, uh, and then we can talk about how to make that happen. But what happens if people have a disagreement over what's ethical? Yeah, that's, you know, that, that's a challenge that we have, particularly in, in our generation. Uh, I think there used to be much more common ground when it came to, to fundamental morals and, and basic ethics. And the harder you have to work to get everybody on board with, with what's ethical, um, the more trouble you're gonna have with uh, you know, forging an ethical society and addressing these kinds of problems. Um, one, of the, one of the approaches that, that I like to suggest is that we start with ourselves, we look at ourselves, and we, ex we extend our view or expand our view to, to the universal. So if, if I'm contemplating a certain course of action, either action or inaction, or there's a certain thing that I'm, I want to do because it seems to be in my own best interest. If I ask myself, what if everyone did what I'm about to do? What would it, what would it look like? Um, you know, as, as, as someone who, who goes to, to prayer service uh, uh, three times a day, um, I, I have very little tolerance for, for people who come and socialize <laughs> rather than engaging in the service. Uh, and what, what I want to tell them is, what would it be like here if everybody were doing what you're doing? You know, we, yeah. we wouldn't have a prayer service, we'd have a cocktail party. Um, and, and you know, if you want to go to a cocktail party, there are places you can go, you don't have to be here. Right? So in a work environment, if everybody's cutting corners, how long does it take before there's no fabric left? Uh, yeah. if, if everybody's looking to get away with as little work as possible, 
Uh, if everybody's on Facebook and online shopping, uh, if everybody's leaving their unwashed coffee mugs in the, in the, in the lunchroom sink, I mean, so many examples, many of which are little things. But like, like we said before, little things turn into really big things. Exactly. Good or bad, right? Exactly. Yeah. Wow. I love that. As you were, it, it, as you were talking about that, it was reminding me of um, one of the things that I speak on is uh, sales and networking. And what lately, what I've been saying to people when I give a speech is, okay, if everyone went to an event trying to sell their product or service to everyone there, would you go back a second time? There you go. <laughs> and right, and they all go, no. It's like, right, you wouldn't. So let's not do it. And it's that same sort of if everyone was doing what you are doing, and it's ridiculous. It's just, oh. yeah. No kidding. Oh. <laughs> and it's still a hard sell. Yeah, <laughs> I know. No pun intended, but you know that's the right. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. It's I'm, crazy. I'm looking at, at me and what's in it for me and what's my exactly. short term instead of looking yeah. at myself as a member of a larger community. Right. And you know, it's it's nicer, it's much better, it's it's beneficial to live in a community of quality people than to yeah. live in a community of predators. <laughs> yes. Exactly. So you don't have to be altruistic about it. It's, you know, a high tide rises, raises all boats. Right. Right. Exactly. I know. See, that, that's, I try and help them see how in their own self-interest, it's a bad idea to behave this way. Right. That they're not going to get what they're going for. Right. Because yeah, I yeah. agree with you. People are always so, they're making decisions because they think it's what's best for them and they're shooting yeah. themselves in the foot. Every exactly. Time. That's why I coined yeah. the, phrase, the phrase ethical affluence, because yeah. to, to try to sell the value of ethics is something that will in fact lead to, to more success and to a better quality of life. Yeah, boy, I really see this. This, this is really I'm loving this conversation. So can you, um, or how did I want to ask this question? I, I'm wondering, uh, like, I know you, you have taken an unusual path to get where you are. And so what I'm wondering is, is there like a lesson in particular that stands out from you for, from your earlier experiences? Well, <laughs> I graduated from the University of California with a degree in English. And, and I, loved, I loved the study of English, but I, I ended up graduating um, rather unprepared for life. Uh, I never did manage to, to figure out what I wanted to do with my English degree. And, and beyond that, I grew up a very comfortable middle-class existence. You know, we weren't rich, but we never really wanted for anything. And life is just very comfortable all the way along. And I realized that I wasn't really prepared psychologically or emotionally for going out into the world. And so I came up with a rather um, unorthodox uh, solution. I put on a backpack and started hitchhiking across the United States. Uh, this, was, this was not a solution that my parents were particularly thrilled with. Uh, <laughs> 
that was the thought that was just running through my head. I can almost picture you <laughs> on the side of a road in the middle of the desert. Yeah, well, that's, that's about it. Uh, <laughs> this was the early 80s, so it wasn't as dangerous as it would be now, but it was, it was, you know, it was past the time when it was something that was commonly done. It didn't seem to matter yeah. along the road. And, uh, and it's not something I would recommend to any of your listeners or their children. Yeah. But um, what it did for me, and of course, we, this is being a cliche, but cliches are, are frequently true, is it really, it really shook me out of my comfort zone. Um, yeah. it, it just put me, I put myself in, in a situation that was utterly unpredictable. And, and it also put me in a situation where I had to, uh, I had to accept, I depend upon the kindness of strangers, we could put it that way. And, and when I got into a car, I realized that how do I how do I pay for my ride? Right? I'm, I'm not I'm not going to share gas necessarily, but uh, I pay for my ride by being aware of what does the driver want from me. What many many drivers want when they picked up hitchhikers is someone to listen. Oh. And 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 people would tell me they would tell me that you know what I'm telling you my wife doesn't know this my best friend doesn't know this. It's the strangers on a train sy syndrome, except it was yeah. strangers in a car. And, yeah. and I realized that that was my way of giving back. Wow. Sensitive to what others want, what others need, what I can give. It didn't cost me any more once I was in the car. Right. Be a good listener. Uh, these people, they really weren't talking to me. They were talking to themselves. They just needed me to be there to make them feel comfortable. And it was a uh, it was a lesson that really that really stood by with me, uh, stood by me for for the rest of my life. That they they say that the same letters that make up the word listen uh, make up the word silent. <laughs> yeah. And if we would listen more and talk yeah. less, we would understand the impact that we can have on the people around us, the workplace, our families, the uh, the society that we live in. Uh, there's so much noise. I mean, the yeah. talk radio and the, and the, and the, and the, and the you know, the political, uh, you can't really call it the political debate. It's just political yelling. Um, yeah. And when, when you, when you want to solve problems in a, in a business situation, uh, there has to be that respect, that civility, and that willingness to take a chance by offering an unconventional idea and the willingness to listen to it and entertain it. Yes. Because you know, that, that's, that's how you generate ideas, that's how you generate trust, that's how you generate creativity, and, and that's all part of uh, the formula for success. Yeah, that, that is terrific. I, I, that so resonates with me, I completely agree with that, and I think there isn't enough of that which is unfortunate because it sounds easy. It, oh, it sometimes makes me wonder why more people just don't try it. it it's like, I don't know, they don't believe that it works or something. It's, well, there's ego, like we talked about before. Yeah. There, there's risk aversion. Uh, and often there's just a lack of that trust. I mean, people don't want to get shot down. Yeah. You know, one of, one of the biggest problems we have in, in society is groupthink. Uh, we, mm -hmm. we, 
you know, when in the workplace, we have to we have to deal with people we're working with. And outside of that, we cluster with people who have the same political values, same social values, yeah. same religious values. And and then our conversations are just echo chambers where everybody's yeah. saying the same thing. And you know, when you look at some of the most catastrophic failures in history, um, the French national line that was supposed to protect the, the France from Germany. So the Germans went around it. Um, the, uh, you know, the Bay of Pigs fiasco, the, the, the Challenger space shuttle disaster, um, the, the 2008 economic collapse. I mean, all of these things, there were, there were lone voices that were saying, we're heading for disaster, folks, and nobody wanted to listen. Yeah. It's not that they wanted to say, no, you're wrong because they didn't bring counter arguments. Right. No, we're not interested in what you're saying. We like things the way they are, and we're simply going to wish them into continued existence. Good luck yeah. with that. Yeah. Uh huh. And we're living in that now. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Wow. Ugh. Uh <laughs> <laughs> Let's end on a happier note, right? <laughs> we are going to end on a happy note. There's no way we are ending on that one. Uh, <laughs> well, the flip side is, if you don't do that, yeah. you don't get into right. those situations. Right. There you go. Organization. Yeah. Yeah. It's true. So did that experience with the hitchhiking, did that have an impact on you making the decision to become a rabbi? Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah. Just because one thing leads to another, I spent half a year hitchhiking across the United States and then half a year uh, backpacking across Europe. And I ended up in Israel, where where I, I had planned to to volunteer in a kibbutz, a collective farm, picking oranges or grapefruits. And when I, for for uh, really bizarre reasons, I ended up not in a kibbutz, but in a in a uh, in a rabbinic seminary, rabbinic college. Wow! I really, I really didn't have any intention of becoming a rabbi or even becoming religious. But what I thought about listening, the, the the lessons I learned in the in the cars, um, I, I was willing to listen to people that I would never have believed would have anything to tell me or teach me. Uh, wow! You know, I was I was 180 degrees almost away from from what I what I saw in them, but just by being willing to listen, I discovered hey, these people have something to say, and and I better give it a little bit of consideration before I walk away from it. And I ended up staying for nine years in, in Israel. Wow. Uh, studying. Wow. Met my wife there, had our first two children there. And what I discovered was a vibrant culture of ideas and, and debate and discourse and, uh, and a whole uh, intellectual and moral discipline that I now try and distill down into my talks on ethics and apply to the, the professional and personal world. That is awesome. That's so interesting. Listen, life takes us places I, we never imagined we would go. <laughs> yeah, well, it, it is, that is for sure. That, that is absolutely. And just being open to the possibilities and, you know, I, I know for me, everything I've experienced got me where I am now. It, yeah. It's, it's, you know, and, and I never would have planned it that way. I never could have seen it, but by being, you know, open to the experiences and not feeling like I had to, I didn't, you know, do that. I should be whatever. It, it 
makes it, I think, easier to pay attention and to be present and to listen and really explore and be a little more creative in thinking. Absolutely. Yeah. Wow. I have just loved this conversation and I really appreciate you joining me and, and explaining this concept. I, I am just all in uh, on this concept and I am sure the listeners are too, because boy, this, this is a way of considering the workplace that I don't think we've ever really explored here on this podcast. So will you please tell the listeners how they can find you, how can they, they can find your most recent book, previous books, just everything, please. Yeah, well, the simply, simplest way is to go to my website, uh, which is my name, which is sometimes a little hard to spell, uh, Jonas and Goldson, Y-O-N-A-S-O-N, G-O-L-D-S-O-N dot com. And if that's too complicated, uh, it's also my, my, uh, my business, which is Ethical Imperatives. And there you'll find links to my articles, my videos, my books, uh, my podcasts, and, uh, and contact information. Um, because I, I really, uh, you know, I retired from teaching just a couple of years ago. And, and it's really my mission now to try to bring the, the benefits of, of an ethical culture to the professional world. Uh, so I'm, I'm always looking for partners in that mission. That's why I appreciate well, you having I, me on. Absolutely. And I am happy to help you get that mission out there. I think it is a tremendous one and incredibly uh, necessary. At, at this point, I think it probably always has been. I guess I feel like even more so now. So <laughs> really excited to be sharing this with people. Uh, and so, again, thank you. Uh, and listeners, thank you. Boy, you, th this has been uh, worth the price of admission, I would say. Uh, just incredible, valuable information. Listen to it a couple of times. Really think about what you've heard here because it can make a huge difference in your business and in your life. I would also like to thank our sponsor. Uh, if you would like a free trial of audible.com as well as a free audiobook, go to audibletrial.com slash business growth to sign up. As always, continue to prosper and be curious. And until we meet again on another episode of Accelerate Your Business Growth, Goodbye and good day. This message is sponsored by Amazon. I want to get back to kissing the cheeks of my grandbabies, making Sunday dinner with a house full of family and lots of laughs. <laughs> COVID-19 has changed how we live and how we feel, but now there are vaccines. It's okay to have questions. Now get the facts. Visit GetVaccineAnswers.org so you can make an informed decision about COVID-19 vaccines. It's up to you. Brought to you by the Ad Council. The world's best-known investor and Wall Street expert, Warren Buffett, once said, Wall Street is the only place that people ride to in a Rolls Royce to get advice from those who take the subway. Mr. Buffett's quote is remarkably accurate, but how many people would rather receive advice from him than someone simply guessing? Welcome to Buy, Hold, Sell, your single source for Wall Street knowledge and profitable guidance. Please join me, Todd Schoenberger, and fellow trader Tobin Smith, as well as host Veronica Dudo, for a podcast known to move the needle for investors. Tobin and I are seasoned Wall Street executives with deep investment experience, and we are prepared to share our advice to those who choose to listen. 
Download Buy, Hold, Sell today on the Evergreen Podcast Network or your favorite podcast channel.